You explain to me a universe with no walls on it. Good luck. You explain to me the Trinity. One God, but three persons. Have at it. It demands faith, not explanation. And if you're going to reject basic Christianity because you cannot figure out God, you're going to wind up out in a Christless eternity. And hell is full of people like that who went out, exited this world because they couldn't figure out God. I'll say it again. This demands faith. We have a God we don't understand. We fall at His feet in awe and wonder and praise and trust Him. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles at this time and turn to the book of Romans and the 11th chapter. And as I said earlier today, all good things must come to an end, right? And so it is with this series. We've been studying what God is like. And we've seen a number of qualities and attributes and ways of God and ways of describing God over these past few weeks. And it's all kind of wound down to this, what we called earlier today, the the grand finale that God is incomprehensible. And by that we simply mean impossible to fully understand. And so we just trust Him. Here in Romans chapter 11, we pick it up in verse number 33. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been His counselor? Or who hath first given to Him, and it shall be recompensed to him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Notice these words in verse 33, the word depth. Notice the word unsearchable. Notice this expression, past finding out. It would certainly describe our God and the fact that he is incomprehensible. We cannot comprehend Him, and so we trust Him. Let's uh, pray before we get started. Father, we just pray now that You'd help us to listen carefully, help our trust in Thee to grow, help our love for Thee to be fostered and cultivated. Father, how I'm just praying now that we'd come to a greater understanding of the person of God, a subject so vast and immense we can't begin to to, uh, study it with uh, understanding fully. Father, we just pray now that You would help us now to seek to know Thee, as Paul said, But, Father, to trust what we don't know, we just pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a man by the name of William Beebe who lived about the time of of Theodore Roosevelt. Both of these uh, had extensive knowledge of of nature, and we know of um, Teddy Roosevelt's love of nature and even his exploits in this state, but William Beebe was no armchair scholar either. He, He had an extensive knowledge of nature. In fact, uh, he had explored the jungles of Asia and South America, and he'd gone even to the, the bottom of the ocean in the, the world's first bathosphere. Well, Beebe had a lot in common with Roosevelt, who also loved nature, and oftentimes Beebe would visit Sagamaw Hill. And as Beebe recalled, he and the president went outdoors after supper, and they wanted to see who could first locate the Andromeda galaxy in the constellation of Pegasus. And uh, so anyway, they would gaze out there and 
and find this tiny smudge, really, of, of starlight or, or dust, if you will. And it was either Beebe or Roosevelt who would say, that is the spiral galaxy of Andromedia. It is as large as our Milky Way. It is one of hundreds of millions of galaxies. It is 750,000 light years away. It consists of 100 billion suns, each one larger than ours. Well, after that had sunk in, Roosevelt used to flash his famous toothy grin, and he would say, I think we're small enough now. And with that, they would retire to bed. You know, all we have to do is go out a clear night and look at a a universe that has no walls, and, and it would put us in our place, wouldn't it? Because we have a great God, and our universe is limitless, and so is our God. Now, it's important that we understand we're not going to understand everything about God, but we don't want to freeze and not seek to know what we can know about Him. I mentioned earlier those who just say, I'm, I can't see the next step, so I'm not going to take it here. Well, when we respond to the light that we have, we're given more light. That's a biblical principle. And, and, and so, if God is incomprehensible, it doesn't mean we give up on Him. He wants us to know Him. I mentioned earlier today, the God of the world of Islam, Allah as he is called, who really isn't the God at all, but their God that uh, Muhammad invented, uh, you can't know him. He stands aloof and afar off from his creation, and, and, and they believe he uh, is uh, too high and mighty to mess with his creation. But the one true God and the creator of everything wants a relationship with us. He desires that. In fact, we read earlier today that the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And I said, I couldn't fully serve a God that I couldn't know. I don't know about you, but God wants us to know Him, and uh, we are still bound to, to be, it's bound to be beyond us at times, but yet, nonetheless, He wants us to know Him. We cannot, in these tabernacles of clay, fully comprehend our God. The psalmist said in Psalm 36.6, to God thy judgments are a great deep. O Lord. And they are. Thy judgments, your ways are a great deep, O Lord. Richard Baxter put it this way, you may know God, but not comprehend Him. Charles Wesley put it this way in the chorus of a song, Hail, coessential three, in mystic unity, Father, Son, and Spirit, hail, God by heaven and earth adored, God incomprehensible, one supreme almighty Lord. One supreme almighty Lord. And then there was Samuel Wesley, who put it this way in a chorus. Hail Father, whose creating call unnumbered worlds attend. Jehovah, comprehending all, whom none can comprehend. We are incapable. That's what the word incomprehensible means. We cannot fully understand God. Richard Sibis put it this way, How should finite comprehend infinite? We shall apprehend Him, but not comprehend Him. We can apprehend Him, but we will never comprehend Him. Our God is incomprehensible. Now, earlier today we looked at three things. I want to build on those three. The first is this. Let's take a look at the comprehensible facts, the things that we can understand. How can we know God intimately? Well, we can study His Word, first and foremost. Secondly, we can spend time with Him in prayer, through prayer. Thirdly, through preaching. 
That's why we're here. Faith cometh by hearing the Word of God, through preaching, also by studying His attributes, the very thing that we've been doing as of late. We've been studying Him. Fourthly, by meditating upon Him. You know, the great minds of old, it's obvious that they didn't have all the distractions that we have in the 21st century because they, they went down deep and they studied Him and they meditated upon Him. We can also study His creation. We can learn a lot about Him through His creation. Also, we can study human nature somewhat because the Bible says we were made in His image. So you say, well, what's God like? Well, in some ways, He's like us because He made us in His image. But in some ways, God is knowable. We can know about Him, at least after salvation. Because we read this verse in Galatians 4.8. Paul says to those folks in the region of Galatia, when you knew not God, in other words, you weren't saved, you did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that, ye have known God. Notice he mentions a before and an after, and he's talking about a before salvation, after salvation. And he says, when you knew not God, in other words, before you were saved, you did service unto them which by nature are no gods, the false gods. He says, but now, he says, after that, ye have known God. And so knowing God really starts with salvation. Have you had a time in your life when you met Christ in salvation and you were born again the Bible way? In 1 John 4, 7, it says, love is of God, and everyone that loveth, notice, is born of God and knoweth God. See the connection there? Born of God and knoweth God. You can't really know God. You can know about God. You can know of God. But Christ is going to say to a lot of people, I never knew you on Judgment Day. They weren't born again. So he that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And then 1 John 5.20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him. The aged apostle writing to Christians talks about knowing God after we're born again. After we're saved, we can know God through um, inquiry, and we should inquire after God. Uh, We can know him through observation and just seeing how he works. And, you know, you study his word, and obviously that's a, a way to know him. But I'm telling you, the longer you're saved, the more you watch how he works. I'll, I'll, I'll never say God is predictable. I said this morning, you never quite know what God is going to do. But you can observe his ways and have a relationship with him. But we don't have to know everything about him in order to trust him nonetheless. We can rejoice in what we do know. The Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 5 that God is light. We know that much. The Bible also tells us in John 4, 24 that God is spirit. We can know that much about him. We know from Romans 3, 26 that he is righteous. And we could go on and on and on. Look, if you would, in the Gospel of John in the 14th chapter. And we pick up a scenario where Jesus Christ is observing the Last Supper with his apostles. It's a tender scene. And there are some very profound words that are being shared at this, the Last Supper. But he says something, I want us to get it, in John 14, and in verse number 7, he says to these men, If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Of course, Philip says, how could that be? And Jesus makes it clear, if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. But notice again in verse 7, If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye know him, 
and have seen him. Now, why would Jesus Christ say that if it wasn't true? We can know him through Jesus Christ. You know, only a fool would shrug off the opportunity to know God. Honestly. The Bible says in Hebrews 3.10, God speaking, Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Those who don't care a rip, those who don't want to know God, grieve God. It says, He was grieved with that generation. They erred in their hearts because they have not known the ways of God. The greatest goal in life is not to make a lot of money. The greatest goal in life is not to buy a lot of things. The greatest goal in life is not your degree, not your education, not your career, not your retirement, none of that stuff. The greatest goal in life is to know God and to know Him well. In fact, Paul the Apostle, after being saved many, many years, under house arrest, writing the epistle of, of the Philippians, he said in Philippians 3.10, Oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. You say, well, didn't Paul know the Lord by that point? Well, he knew him in salvation. But that wasn't enough. He wanted to go down deeper. He wanted to drink deeper. And he said, oh, that I may know him. And look at the stuff that he wanted to know. The power of his resurrection. You say, amen. Oh, I I want that power. But it doesn't stop there. He says, in the fellowship of his sufferings, you go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait, you lost me there. He goes on and he says, being made conformable unto his death, dying to self, because that's what the sufferings will do in our lives. Now, we know this much. We know this much, all right? We know that God has never been wrong. He has never exaggerated. Doesn't need to. He has never been challenged. He has never been weary or sleepy. He has never had to correct a mistake. He has never been absent or late. He has never been partial nor proud. He has never had an afterthought. I often say, did it ever occur to you that nothing's occurred to God? (laughs) Never has had an afterthought. Never has been ill. He's never been frustrated. He's never been confused. We know these things about God. We can comprehend them. So there's the comprehensible facts. But secondly, there's what we saw earlier today, the cloudy forbidden. The cloudy forbidden. Uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr. was actually a a doctor. And uh, he uh, was very intrigued with ether as it was just coming out and putting people under and, and, and operations were being performed on people. And he wanted to know so much about it that he had himself put under with ether. And he uh, went out, and, and he was mumbling something just before he passed out. And when he came to, he said, oh, it was amazing. I, I've never experienced anything like that. He said, just, just before I went under, he said, I understood something I never understood in my life. He said, I think I actually had the key to the mystery of the universe. He said, you've got to put me under again. He said, this time I've got to get my secretary in here. And when I start speaking, just before I go under, he said, I want you to write exactly what I say and let me know. It's, I'm sure it's the key to the mystery of the universe. So he was put under with ether again. Sure enough, just before he went under, he mumbled something there and then mumbled something, mumbled something, and, and she was writing down. And, and finally he went out. And when he came to, he said, well, what did I say? What did I say? And she said, well, you said that the entire universe is permeated with the strong odor of turpentine. Yeah, wow. He, he really solved it all, didn't he? No, we're not going to figure it out. 
There are some things that are cloudy. There are some things that are forbidden. They're obscure. They're inexplicable. They're unclear. They're difficult. We're just never going to understand it. You know, we find this verse in Proverbs 25.3 that the heaven for height and the earth for depth and the heart of kings is unsearchable. You know, the heart of kings is unsearchable. What about the king of kings? Can you imagine all that's in the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ? It is absolutely unsearchable. Nobody can figure it out. In fact, our text said, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, notice, and his ways past finding out. His ways are past finding out. Now, we can know this much. His ways are perfect. No question about that. Psalm 18.30, it says, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in Him. And we talked about that earlier today. We'll talk about it again. He's going to be a buckler to those that trust Him, but as for His ways, they're perfect. His knowledge is perfect. It doesn't grow. His power is perfect. That doesn't grow. Mankind is continually growing in knowledge and other things, but not God. In fact, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you would. It is foolish to think for a moment that we've got it all figured out. Oh, there are those who uh, hurt themselves, really, with the knowledge that they have, the Carl Sagans of this world, and the Darwins, and the Bill Nyes, and the, the free thinkers, and the... And the the proud enough bunch to think they really have it figured out. They don't. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we read these words beginning in verse number 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved is the power of God. For it is written, God speaking, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Answer is yes. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we as Christians preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. You know what the apostle is saying? He's saying, look around you. Notice the people who get saved. They're not the big shots. They're not the prideful. It's normally the humble, because we must humble ourselves as children in order to get saved. But notice in verse number 27, God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base or lowly things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, notice these words, that no flesh should glory in His presence. This is telling us here that it is the humble that God ministers to and draws and saves. It is not those who think they've arrived, those who think they've figured it all out. You never will. You never will comprehend God. Even after we have been born again, we're not going to understand it all. 
Look in chapter 13, as long as we're in 1 Corinthians here. This is the love chapter, the charity chapter of the Bible, and for a number of verses, Paul's been explaining this thing called charity. But he gets down to verse number 12, and he says something profound. He says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Paul says it's kind of cloudy right now. It's kind of skewed. It's kind of fuzzy. We see through a glass now. We don't fully understand all this stuff. He says, but then it's going to be like face to face. Now I know in part, but then, that is on the other side, shall I know even as also I am known. You know, we talked about Job earlier today, and and he spent chapters trying to figure it out. But, you know, in heaven, right now, even as I speak, he's going, I figured it out now. I, I, I understand why I went through all that. God knew what he was doing. Folks, God operates in a league all by himself. I've been reading in Exodus recently in my own private uh, devotional time. And I noticed in Exodus chapter 8, three times we find this expression, that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. There's none like unto the Lord our God. He's in a class all by himself. He shares center stage with nobody. He's in a league all by himself. And there is none like unto our God. We can never begin, never begin to understand God. You know what the best we can do would be? I want you to turn to the book of the Revelation, if you would. I'll show you what the best that that really we can do, or at least God can do to help us to understand Him. What God will do in the Bible, and you'll see this often, is use words like likeness or like. In fact, if you study Ezekiel, it's it's describing stuff, and it's here's an appearance of something that says it's like unto this, and within the likeness of that, and it's because there's really nothing that we could compare it to really to understand it. You find that here in the book of the Revelation as, as you find the Lord Jesus Christ making an appearance to John on the Isle of Patmos, and you pick it up in verse number 13. Revelation 1.13, John writes and he says, And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. But notice, John's writing and he's saying, he's like this, it's as that. And, and you say, well, what did Christ really look like? Well, John describes it here the best he could because it's beyond our comprehension. You know, there are some things throughout the Bible that God gives us, even allegories, to help us to understand Him. We've studied the book of Hosea in the church here, and and we've studied how 
God took a, a prophet like Hosea and told him to go marry a prostitute. And Hosea did. And, and she ran around on him. And he kept going and bringing her back home. And she was unfaithful. And he, he stayed true to her. And, and you say, now I can understand a little bit the love of God. How God really loves us here. You know, there are a number of examples in the Bible that God gives us to show us kind of what he's like. But we still aren't going to get it. And we often try to reduce God to something that is coherent and manageable and explainable, but we'll never put God in a box. Never. We, we, he cannot fit into our mold. He will not fit into our mold. He is too high. He is too deep. He is too beyond our understanding. He is God. So what do we do? Well, we've looked at the comprehensible facts, and secondly, the cloudy forbidden, finally, once again, the confident faith. The confident faith in this God that we can't fully understand. It was Christmas Eve in 1875, and Ira Sankey was on a boat going down the Delaware River. He was just uh, taking a cruise, and nobody really knew him, but being the song leader of D.L. Moody, he was famous nationwide. And his, his, his picture was on posters and things like that, and they recognized him. They said, oh, Mr. Sankey, won't you sing us one of your songs? And he said, well, I'll sing you a song, but I'd rather sing you a song of somebody else's. I'd like to sing the song, Savior, Like a Shepherd, Lead Us. So in his rich baritone voice, he began to sing it, Savior, Like a Shepherd, Lead Us, and so on. He sung one verse, and then he came to that, that phrase, We are thine, do thou befriend us, be the guardian of our way. And all of a sudden, there was a surprised look on, on a fellow in the front row listening to him. And after the song was over, that man rushed up to him. And he said, Mr. Sank, I have a question for you. Were you in the, uh, the army during the Civil War? And, and uh, Isaiah, or Ira Sank, he said, yes, I was, I was part of the Union Army. And he said, well, I was in the Civil War too, but I was on the Confederate side. He, he said, were you ever put out on post at night? And he said, oh, many times. He named this particular place. He said, oh, yeah, I, I, I was doing guard duty there. And he named a particular time. He goes, yeah, that's where I was at that time. Why? He said, well, one night, I'll never forget it, but I was out doing guard duty, and I didn't, you didn't know it, but, but I was just across the field from you. And, and it was a full moon that night, and it, it shone on you just perfectly. And you started singing that song, Savior, Like a Shepherd, Lead Us. And I took my gun, and I... I aimed at you, and I thought, he's never going to finish this song. And as he was just about zeroed in on his target, all of a sudden, Iris Sankey began to sing that chorus, We are thine, do thou befriend us, be thou guardian of our way. And he stopped, and he remembered, he said, I remembered growing up at my mother's knee and her singing that very song. And, and uh, I, I thought, well, I'll just let him finish the song, and Anyway, you sang a few verses of it, and he said, by the time you finished the last verse, he said, my arms went limp by my side, and he said, anyone who could sing to the, the Lord like that, I can't, I can't shoot. You know, we have a God, a sovereign God. His ways are inexplicable, but, but he is a, a God we'll never comprehend on this side of heaven. God has a way because God is sovereign. We read this in Acts 13.10. Paul's addressing a sorcerer. He says, Thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? There's a whole sermon there on just that expression, the right ways of the Lord. Could they be anything else? God's ways are right ways. And there are consequences if we reject the right 
ways of the Lord. We'll never comprehend them, but that fact leads to all denial of the Christian doctrine. And there are many who say, well, we don't understand it, we're not going to believe it. You know, man becomes the measure of all things when he gets that attitude. I'll say that again. Man becomes the measure of all things, and it's secularism, it is really it's religious humanism. There's a lot of religious humanism out there. Look, no one can even reconcile two very, very basic truths. One, the sovereignty of God. The other, the free will of man. How do you reconcile those two? The election of God, the choice of man. Now, the proud think they can, and that is nothing but pride. Let me show you what Jesus said in John 3, 8. He said, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. You can't even explain the wind. You can't even figure out the wind. And that's what it's like when somebody's born again. You know, you've got divine sovereignty and you have human accountability, and they're both true. And they're both taught in the Bible. And nobody can reconcile them. And hundreds of thousands of hours have been wasted with those who have tried to reconcile those things. You never will. I get emails from people, and they take me to task on this. And uh, I just want to say, would you go away? i got work to do. This demands faith, not explanation. I'll say it again. This demands faith in a God that's so high beyond us, we cannot understand it, and so we don't try and explain it, and it's just a tiny example. You explain to me a universe with no walls on it. Good luck. You explain to me the Trinity. One God, but three persons. Have at it. It demands faith, not explanation. And if you're going to reject basic Christianity because you cannot figure out God, you're going to wind up out in a Christless eternity. And hell is full of people like that who went out, exited this world because they couldn't figure out God. Look in Romans chapter 1, if you would. It's sad and it's foolish at the same time. And here in Romans chapter 1, the Bible describes these folks, sadly. And after saying a number of things, we come down to verse 18, and Paul puts it on the bottom shelf for us all to reach. Romans 1.18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead notice, so that they are without excuse. And again, thinking you can figure out God is the primrose path to apostasy. You'll end up an apostate. You'll end up a reprobate trying to figure it all out. In Psalm 139.6, the psalmist said, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. At least he was honest. Neither can we. And we never will. But it didn't keep David from worshiping God, did it? He was truly a man after God's own heart. Yet he said, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. And we never will. It ought to really drive us to God. In fact, look in Philippians chapter 4, if you would. It ought to drive us to God. 
Because once we embrace the truth that we never will fully comprehend God, we finally come to peace with God in so many areas. In Philippians chapter 4, we pick it up in verse number 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation, that is your temperance, your balance, be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful or full of care for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I've underlined in my Bible those words, which passeth all understanding. When we accept the fact that God is incomprehensible, we have peace. And it mentions here the peace of God that passeth all understanding. The events of life may rattle us, and uh, that's one thing, but they won't derail our faith. You might have a crisis of faith, but you won't lose your faith because you'll be confident in God's love, confident in God's wisdom. And so uh, leave it to the heathen to shake their fist at God. If you're a child of God, you know better. They won't believe in what they can't fully understand. They won't believe in what they can't fully explain. Uh, We don't need to. We don't need to at all. Notice what A.W. Tozer said. He said, May the very incomprehensibility of God move us to adoration and worshipful awe. Boy, I like that. He says again, May the very incomprehensibility of God move us to adoration and worshipful awe. Oh, so when the agnostics and the infidels and the free thinkers come along and, and they put their hands on their hips and they go, well, how do you explain this? You know, I've gotten to the place where I don't worry about explaining it. I don't mutter. I don't stammer. I don't, I don't mumble. I don't apologize over the fact that our God is incomprehensible. I trust Him. I accept it by faith. I don't agonize over that. It doesn't drive me away from Him. It drives me to Him. We have a God we don't understand. We fall at His feet in awe and wonder and praise and trust Him because we'll never fully understand Him. You know, God's creation alone still astounds me. It's still just His creation. They are weakly making discoveries in this age of knowledge of things they never knew before. They're tapping into the elements that they never tapped into before because God's creation is still inexplicable. What about God Himself? What about... Uh, What about his essence? What about the fact he is infinite? You know, I've talked to people before, and and, uh, you tell them that heaven's going to go on forever, and they say, what are we going to do forever? Well, I know this. We're not going to get bored. You think, really, you're going to get bored in heaven with the imagination of God? The Bible says in Psalm 1611, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I think the greatest adventure in this life is walking with God and getting to know God better. Let me read to you something in closing by Charles Spurgeon. I read you something earlier today. Get a load of this. He said, Nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of God's deity. The most excellent study for expanding the soul is the science of Christ and Him crucified and the knowledge of the Godhead in the glorious Trinity. The proper study 
of the Christian is the Godhead. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the doings, and the existence of the great God, which Christ calls his Father. There is something exceedingly improving to the mind with a contemplation of the divinity. It is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. Other subjects we can comprehend and grapple with, and then we feel a kind of self-contentment, and we go on our way with the thought, Behold, I am wise. But when we come to this master science, finding that our plumb line cannot sound its depth, and that our eagle eye cannot see its height, we turn away with the thought, I am but of yesterday and know nothing. How true. Well said, Spurgeon, and ought to humble us. God is never illogical. God is never irrational. But He is beyond man's ability to explain. Plain and simple. He is, he is infinite. We are finite. And so... We do not comprehend Him fully. We never will. He is incomprehensible, but we trust Him and we love Him. And may it help us to serve Him. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again... Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.